I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning uh, for the last time, this summer anyway, uh, to the book of Psalms. To the book of Psalms, Psalm 139. For those of you who are who are visiting this morning, we have uh, long, uh, well, the last several weeks, we have been in a study of the songs of David, uh, jumping around uh, and um, letting David's words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, give voice to our emotions, to our hearts, and uh, today we're going to conclude that series. And uh, next week we will begin a new series, a new book study, uh, on the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, so you can read the book of Ecclesiastes this week in preparation for that, if you'd like. Uh, Looking forward to diving into that book of wisdom beginning next week, Lord willing. We began this series on the Songs of David with Psalm 19. Several weeks ago, a psalm that meditated on God's revelation of Himself to us. And today, though this psalm is in large part that same, in that same vein of God's revelation to us, it's also about His knowledge of us and the implications of that truth. For our lives. It seems a fitting place for us to conclude this series in light of what's going on, I know, in some of your lives and in light of what's going on in our nation. I love this passage of Scripture so much. I want you to love it as well. And kids, I want you to listen well also this morning. This is such a good passage for you to know and to understand. And so listen as I read Psalm chapter 139. Follow along in your copy of God's Word or in the insert found in your bulletin. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. 
You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise You, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are Your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from You when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In Your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. My wife and I just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary and there's a question that I sometimes joke with her about after 20 years of marriage. At times I will ask her, do you even know me. It usually comes when she forgets that I hate mushrooms and I hate cilantro. Or it comes when she uh, asks me if I like a movie that I love so much we, we own it and have owned it for years. Now, of course, I don't bring that up to, to knock Anna. She does know me. She knows me better than any of you in this room know me. And I'm so thankful for that fact. I'm thankful that she knows the true Nate Hitchcock. Things I really would rather know about me. And yet she still loves me. One of the reasons why I love Psalm 139 so much is because it is a psalm about being known. It's a psalm about being known in an incomprehensible way. I mean, here in this song, David finds himself lost in the wonder, in the awe of the God that he serves. And this is not some abstract theological discussion for David. No, this is intensely personal for him. Oh Lord, you have searched me. You know me. And it's my hope as we unpack this psalm for just a few minutes this morning, as we explore it, that we would let that truth seep into our souls. That it would impact our lives. Three truths I want you to see this morning. Three truths I want you to meditate on. Kids, here it comes, point number one. It's really a difficult one to get your head around. It's three words. God knows you. God knows you. I don't mean He just knows you. 
He knows you, every single one of you, not just your name, not just where you live, but in every conceivable and inconceivable way, God knows you. It's a simple way to say it. Simple to say it. But it's not so simple to think about. Psalm 139, and David, help us dive into the deep end, so to speak. You see, God's knowledge of us is not something that he had to study to acquire. God knows all things. He has always known all things. My wife, despite all that she knows about me, is still learning. Husbands, you are still trying to figure your wives out. But God's knowledge is not like that. And David reminds us of that. David declares that to us, that his knowledge is absolutely complete. Too high, David says. I cannot attain it. And if we think about this, if we try to smush this into our brains, which is difficult to do, one of the important things to think about is the fact that God, our God, the triune God, the holy God that we come to worship this morning, is not bound by time. And so his knowledge of us is not just a good memory that remembers everything that has gone on in the history of the world, nor is it his ability to look into the future to see what's going to happen. In my study, I heard God's relationship to time described this way. Our lives are rivers, winding through valleys. We can't see what's ahead. We often lose track of what was behind as we turn around the bends. But God, God sits on the highest peak, and He sees the whole journey in every detail, in every turn, every capsize, everything. But you see, even that picture is incomplete. Because God's not just on the peak, God's in the boat. And God's not just in the boat, He's steering the boat. And He's not just steering the boat, He's steering me without violating my will, without coercing me in any way. So much so that even the thoughts that come out as words, are known by God before I even speak them. God knows you. God is a teacher who has never been a learner. Think about that. God has never been informed of anything. Listen to this quote by A.W. Tozer an author that many of you know well. He says, God has never learned from anyone. God cannot learn. Could God at any time or in any manner receive into His mind knowledge that He did not possess and had not possessed from all eternity? He would be imperfect and less than Himself. But God knows all things perfectly. He knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised. He is never amazed. He never wonders about anything. Nor does He seek information or ask questions. Everybody got their heads around that? That kind of knowledge? No, David says, it's too wonderful for me. 
I can't get my head around that. It's wonderful, right? But in a sense, it's a, it's a bit disconcerting. I mean, to be known to our absolute core, to be known in a way that we don't even know ourselves, that can be incredibly threatening. I mean, it's great to be known, but there is an overexposure A nakedness beyond nakedness, so to speak, that can be too much. And if we're honest with ourselves, as David was honest with himself, at times we want to run from such knowledge. And on the human level, many of us wear wear wounds because of others' knowledge of us. So knowledge can be a threat. We're concerned about being exploited. We're afraid that knowledge will bring about abuse. But here's the thing. The God who knows you doesn't use any of that knowledge against you. The Gospel proclaims this morning that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the Gospel proclaims to us that Jesus went through darkness. Jesus suffered abandonment of the Father's face. He endured the wrath of the Father's anger with a full knowledge of who we are. And so because of Jesus this morning, we need not fear God's knowledge of us. Instead, we can delight as David delights and says, search me and know me. See if there be any offensive way in me. How precious to me are your thoughts. God knows you. One of the reasons I wanted to end here this summer on Psalm 139 is because I know what some of you are going through. And this is where it lands. Because frankly, some of you in this room are going through the most difficult time in your life. And you need to know that God knows you. That God knows every cancer cell. That God knows every infection. That God knows every pain and loss. That God knows every action that you regret. He knows, and He cares for His children. And that's the second truth I want us to see from David's song this morning. It's this. Here we go, kids. God is always with His children. God is always with His children. There's a question that I'm going to miss. I hear it still, not as frequently as I used to as a dad, But it's the question, will you just stay with me a while, Dad? Will you just stay with me? See, I can't help but think about Psalm 139 in the context of my heavenly Father and my own fatherhood to my own children. And yet David here in Psalm 139 He's not necessarily asking the question that my kids ask. Will you just stay with me a while? 
In verse 7, he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? You see, David uses the word flee here. It's the same word that's used of good old Jonah. It's almost as if David is wondering where the boundaries are. And not just wondering where the boundaries are, but at times running to see if he can get away. Goes back to that overexposure. At times we don't like God knowing so much about us. And indeed, I would say that without the gospel, without Jesus, exposure to this God is something to fear. Figuratively speaking, David looks up and he looks down in verse 8. He says, if I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, or the place of the dead, you are there. He looks to the east from the place where the sun rises, the wings of the morning, he calls it. He looks to the west where all he can see is water in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall guide me. Even in the dark places, they're not dark enough to get away from God. So David proclaims, my God, you are everywhere. Even if I wanted to get away from you, it'd be futile. There's nowhere I can go. See, what David proclaims here, what he extols, is what the Scripture confirms and elaborates on, and that is that God's presence is everywhere. The Hebrew word translated presence here is literally face. Wherever we are, we live before the face of God. And what an absolute comfort to our souls. Not just that He knows everything that each of you are going through, but that He is with you. Now we've looked before at other songs. We've looked at Psalm 13 where David cries out, how long will you forget me forever? And we've talked about the hiddenness of God. And indeed, at times, God remains hidden in the mystery of His will. But hiddenness is not the same as lack of presence. God is always with His children. And so in your sin, in your sickness, in your arrogant forgetfulness, God has not forgotten you. And so Romans 8.28 is not some trite saying. It is the truth. God knows what you're going through. He is with you. In all of that. And therefore we can trust that He is working all things for the good of those who love Him. Well, there's one final truth that I want us to look at this morning. It flows from the first two points. But it is a shift. One final thing that this psalm reminds us of, and it's this. Human life 
is precious. Human life is precious. You see, I wanted to preach on this psalm as we're working through this series for two reasons. One is because I know what many of you are going through and have gone through in recent days and weeks and months. But secondly, I wanted to preach about Psalm 139 because I wanted us to land here. Thinking about, meditating on the fact that human life is precious. And no, you didn't miss something. It's not Sanctity of Life Sunday. In fact, it's good that I'm making this point on a Sunday other than Sanctity of Life Sunday. Because the issue of God's view of human life and our responsibility as His children who are known and loved and cared for by Him, to defend that life, it's not a once a year issue. It's one we need to remind ourselves of often. And so in the third stanza of Psalm 139 lies one of the most beautiful declarations of God's creative power. I just want to look at a couple phrases. Verse 13, inward parts. Verse 13, inward parts. These two English words, they translate one Hebrew word that occurs 31 times in the Old Testament. 19 of those times, it is translated literally kidney. Eight times, it is translated heart. One time, here in Psalm 139, it is translated inward parts. For you formed my inward parts. And what's David saying? He's saying that the kidneys, the heart, are to the ancient mind the seat of the emotions and will, the very essence of who we are. God formed those things and made us who we are. And when did God do this? He did this in the wombs of our mothers, poetically in the depths of the earth. The second phrase I want to look at is verse 16. Unformed substance. It's used only here. And the Hebrew word could literally be translated embryo. There in the womb, God is there too. Crafting us by His power. Making us in His image. Human life is precious. You see, I bring this up because there has been a lot of heart-wrenching reporting in the media recently. You all may have heard about this lion. His name was Cecil. And he was killed half a world away. And there's great concern over this because, number one, Cecil was a loved lion. And number two, apparently his brother Jericho will now kill his cubs in order to take over Cecil's pride. And the second heart-wrenching story is that, and this was covered by CBS and NBC on last Thursday, it rejoices in the pregnancy of Mei Ziang, one of the giant pandas at the National Zoo. 
CBS, in fact, played a video clip of the unborn panda's ultrasound. Now, don't get me wrong. I love lions and I love pandas just as much as the next guy. And I believe that God has called us to be wise stewards of them. But folks, something is wrong. Something is terribly wrong. When there are videos exposing the absolute horrors and evils of abortion and its industry, this week's video with this lighthearted amazement about how an aborted baby's heart is still beating, and we don't even want to talk about it as a nation, we are blind to our own evil. As much as I love pandas and lions, I don't care about those stories. They aren't heart-wrenching to me. And frankly, I think that we in the church can become numb. I know I can become numb. The problem is so big. It has been a problem for so long. Can we really do anything I mean, over one million babies are aborted every year just in this nation. That's just over 3,000 per day. Just in this nation. Brothers and sisters, Psalm 139, with the backdrop of God's knowledge and God's care for us, reminds us of the preciousness of human life. God has made you and me distinct from all other creatures. He has made us in His image. He has given us souls that will last forever. One of the big questions is when does this life begin? You know, in 1981, the U.S. Academy of Sciences stated that science is simply unable to give an answer as to whether life begins at conception. Like much science, that science is debatable. And there have been dozens, maybe even hundreds of scholarly articles written since then that have expressly argued from a scientific standpoint that life begins when an egg and sperm unite. But brothers and sisters, while science may debate this, God's Word settles it for us. Psalm 51.5, In sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58.3, The wicked are estranged from the womb. And then this morning you knitted me together in my mother's womb. You see, the distinction of our humanity from all other creatures, lions and pandas included, happens not when our babies gasp air for the first time. That's not when our children are united with their souls. No, it's when the seed of the father unites with the mother's. That's it. There's no confusion for us. And yet we live in this insane world. We live in this world of confusion. Do you realize that 38 states in our union still have fetal homicide laws? 
If you don't know what that means, that means if a woman wants to go and kill her baby, she can do that legally. But if a drunk driver hits her and kills the baby while she's on the way to kill the baby, then that drunk driver will be charged with involuntary manslaughter for the death of that child. That's crazy. And then we talk about, we talk as if it's a woman's right that she can do whatever she wants, but we won't let her jump off a bridge. We won't let her sell her body. Brothers and sisters, for Christians, for we who are recipients of God's knowledge and care, we are called to love our neighbors, to love the least of these, to love the unborn. And not just the unborn, the migrant worker, the homeless, the struggling single mom, the widow without family, human dignity in all its forms must be protected. As we look through history, many Christians failed. They failed to protect and speak out against, human, about, against the destruction of human dignity in Nazi Germany. Many of our ancestors failed in early America, all the way up to the civil rights movement. May we not fail in our generation. Human life is precious. And so I remind you, Church of Jesus, to pray, to keep praying. To be informed. Don't put your head in the sand. And to get involved as you are able. I, there are many issues of injustice. There are many issues of evil. And I'm not trying to put a burden of guilt on anyone in this room. But I'm calling us as a church to recognize that human life is precious. And I know that in a room... This size, there, are chan- there is a good chance that, that some of you in this room maybe have even experienced an abortion. And if that's the case, we, we run back to the gospel. We run back to the forgiveness that is free for all in this room. There is no sin too dark. For the gospel of Jesus Christ to cover. Friends, this is a text about marveling in who God is. About recognizing and resting in His knowledge and His presence with us. And about responding as people who have been shown grace with the grace of our own to others. May God's Word change us this morning. May the God of all knowledge show us the way. The way everlasting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this song of David. What a message it speaks to us as Your people. How we are thankful that we are known 
that even that which we try to hide is in plain sight to you. And yet in Christ Jesus, you love your children. You are with us. Oh, Father, I pray that this would be a balm for the soul for those who are hurting this morning. And I pray it would be a reminder for all of us as we as a church desire to be a city on a hill, a light that is not hidden, Show us the way to defend the preciousness of human life in all its forms, in whatever way. Only by your grace, and only because of your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.